As I was walking on London Street one misty morning early, I heard a fair young maiden cry, Lord save me the life of Salutations, Tigers! Welcome to the inaugural episode of GDT3K, Gothic Dreadful Theater 3000, a brand new podcast in which twice a month we take the campiest, juiciest, most melodramatic stories in the history of the universe and give them the full MST3K treatment. Today, as usual, I am joined by community journalist, OG Star Wars fan, and Renaissance Fair regular, Jennifer Moody, and by author and publishing executive, Christopher Jerome of Dark Tidings Press. I am Finn J.D. John, principal creative and chief audiobook narrator at Pulplet Productions. And we are about to tuck into the first four chapters of Valny the Vampire, or The Feast of Blood. Blood! Okay, here's how this works. We play the audiobook narration of the chapters in the background. You, listening in, will hear the narration in your left ear and us making sarcastic wisecracks in your right. Yeah, that's actually how it's supposed to work. That's not how it worked this time because I screwed up the recording machine and ended up with a mono source file. So you just it's just going to be a big giant blort. But um, sorry about that, and hopefully you can hear it okay, and it'll be fixed next time, I promise. Well, let's get this party started. Varney the Vampire, or The Feast of Blood. Blood! Volume 1, Chapter 1. How graves give up their dead, and how the night air hideous grows with shrieks. That's just an unattributed quotation at the top of the story. The hailstorm, the dreadful visitor, the vampire. The solemn tones of an old cathedral clock have announced midnight. The air is thick and heavy. A strange, death-like stillness pervades all nature, like the ominous calm which precedes some more than usually terrific outbreak of the elements. They seem to have paused, even in their ordinary fluctuations, to gather a terrific strength for the great effort. A faint peal of thunder now comes from far off. Like a signal gun for the battle of the winds to begin, it appeared to awaken them from their lethargy, and one awful warring hurricane swept over a whole city, producing more devastation in the four or five minutes it lasted than would a half-century of ordinary phenomena. It was as if some giant had blown upon some toy town. This is basically padding, I'm pretty the sure. Blast of his That's kind of the impression breath. I'm getting. For yeah. as suddenly as that blast you know, the good old days when it, it and all you couldn't cut from the bottom, you just before. had to like fluff up Sleepers the copy until it filled up all the galleys. What they had heard must be the confused uh, by the word. of a dream. They trembled and turned to sleep again. All is still. Still as the very grave. Ding! Not a sound breaks the magic of repose. <laughs> my, my favorite Varney what the Vampire that? phrase. A we haven't heard the last of it. Noise, as of a million so do we drink feet. every time we hear that? It is <laughs> you know, we probably should. Yes, a hailstorm has burst over the city. We need Leaves like a list from the of trees phrases. Small boughs. Windows that lie most opposed to the direct fury of pelting particles of ice are broken. You should see what the word count is if you cut all the stock so remarkable phrases out. In its intensity is that would exchanged be fun. for a noise which in its accumulation drowns every cry of surprise or consternation which here and there arose from persons who found their houses invaded by the storm. 
He switches. Uh, then, too, he switches tense a few times. I was noticing. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly strength, in present, as it and then blew not. laterally, would for a moment hold millions of the hailstones suspended in midair, but it was only to dash them with redoubled force in some new direction, where more mischief was to be done. Oh, how the storm raged! Hail, rain, wind! It was, in very truth, an awful <laughs> night. There was an antique chamber in an ancient house. Stop you! Ah, all right. Now that we've got the uh, the scene set, <laughs> yes. how about you describe for us what the illustration is that opens your uh, copy of the book you have here? Oh yes, yeah, that whole intro could have been summed up with "It was a dark and stormy night." Yes, but it <laughs> required <much>. the <laughs> genius of Lord Bulwer Lytton to do that. <laughs> I, that was that was more Lytton than Lytton. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I think, I think they've. Well, the, the, actually, the illustration for this chapter is it shows that the, the, it's, a, it's a spoiler. Oh, it's all a, right. It's a maiden getting munched. Uh-oh, okay. Well, sort of. Is it stormy outside? Do you see the window you don't or anything? See, there's no storminess. There's just a vampire um, uh, biting somebody. So much wasted prose. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know that I would say wasted. <laughs> More, more like, <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know what the adjective is. Spread anyway. on thick as peanut butter. That's yeah, right, pretty much. Okay. Curious and quaint carvings adorn the walls and the large chimney piece as a curiosity of itself. The ceiling is low and a large. Oh, bay this is the chamber from roof to floor with the innocent the maiden in it. The window uh, is latticed and filled with curiously painted glass and rich stained pieces which send in a strange yet beautiful light when sun or moon shines into the apartment. There is but one portrait in that room, though the walls seem paneled for the express purpose of containing a series of pictures. That portrait is of a young man with a pale face, a stately brow, and a strange expression about the eyes which no one cared to look on twice. There is a stately bed in that chamber, of carved walnut wood is it made, rich in design and elaborate in execution, one of those works which owe their existence to the Elizabethan era. It is hung with heavy silken and damask furnishing, We're back nodding in the present feathers tense. are at its corners. Covered with dust are they, and they lend a funereal aspect to the room. The floor is of polished oak. Oh, the maid's been God, laxed. how the hail <laughs> dashes on the old bay window. She has like not an dusted the feathers. discharge of mimic musketry, it comes clashing, beating, and cracking upon the small panes. But they resist it. Their small size saves them. The wind, the hail, the rain expend their fury in vain. The bed in that old chamber is occupied. A creature formed in all fashions of loveliness lies in a half-sleep upon that ancient couch. A girl, young and beautiful as a spring morning. Of Her long she is. hair yeah. has escaped from its <laughs> confinement and streams over the blackened coverings of the bedstead. She has been restless in her sleep, for the clothing of the bed is in much confusion. One arm is over her head, the other hangs nearly off the side of the bed near to which she lies. 
a neck and bosom that would have formed a study for the rarest sculptor that ever Providence gave genius to were half disclosed. Of course they were. She moaned <laughs> slightly in her sleep and really once or actually twice quite the lips creepy. moved as if in prayer. <laughs> like, At least one might like, judge so. James Malcolm Reimer, you flaming pervert. Yeah. Came once faintly from them. <laughs> She, she doesn't sleep like this every night, but on this night, does not awaken yes. her. But it can disturb the slumbers it does not possess the power to destroy entirely. The turmoil of the elements wakes the senses, although it cannot entirely break the repose <clears throat> they have lapsed into. Oh, what a world of witchery was in that mouth, slightly oh, parted and exhibiting right. within Ew. the pearly teeth that glisten, <laughs> even in the faint light that came from that bay window. How sweetly the long, silken eyelashes lay upon the cheek. Now she moves, and one shoulder is entirely visible. Whiter, oh fairer the than scandal. the spotless clothing of the bed on which she lies, is the smooth skin of that fair creature just budding into womanhood, and in that transition state which presents to us all the charms of the girl, almost of the child, with the more matured beauty and gentleness of advancing years. So she's like, Was what, 14? Like Something like that. <laughs> An awful, vivid, terrifying flash. Then a roaring peal of thunder, as if a thousand oh, good. We're mountains back to scary were rolling stuff. one over the other. Really the uncomfortable, creepy. Feast of blood. Feast of blood. Not one living soul. The dread trumpet of eternity could not more effectually have awakened anyone. Hmm. The hail continues. I thought the, the dread trumpet continues. of eternity was going to kill everybody. The element seems at its height. Now she awakens that beautiful girl in the antique bed. She opens those eyes of celestial blue, and a faint cry of alarm bursts from her Because it can never lips. be brown. At no. least it is a cry which, amid the noise and turmoil without, sounds but faint She's and Crystal weak. Gale. She sits upon the bed and presses her hands upon her eyes. Heavens, what a wild torrent of wind and rain and hail. The thunder, likewise, seems intent upon awakening sufficient echoes to last until the next flash of forked lightning should again produce the wild concussion of the air. She murmurs a prayer, a prayer like for those hailing. she loves you best. Know, it doesn't often the hail in scary storms. Yeah, his gentle heart rain. come from her lips. She actually, weeps and prays. She thinks then of what devastation the storm must into the, uh, And to the great the God part. of heaven, she prays for all living things. Another flash. A wild, blue, bewildering flash of lightning things across that bay window for an instant bringing out All every color matters. in it. Yeah. Terrible distinctness. A shriek bursts from the lips of the young girl, and then with eyes fixed upon that window, which in another moment is all darkness, and with such an expression of terror upon her face as it had never before known, she trembled, and the perspiration of intense fear stood upon her brow. What? What was it? She gasped. Real? A delusion? Oh, God, what was it? A figure, tall and gaunt, endeavoring from the outside to unclasp the window. I saw it. That flash of lightning revealed it to me. It stood the whole length of the window. There was a lull of the wind. The hail well. was not falling so thickly. Moreover, it now fell what there was of it, straight. And yet a strange, clattering sound came upon the glass of that long window. It could not be a delusion. She is awake, and she hears it. What can produce it? Another flash of lightning, another shriek. There could now be no delusion. 
A tall figure is standing on the ledge immediately outside the long window. It's Santa Claus. fingernails (laughs) upon the glass that produces the sound so like the hail, now that the hail has ceased. Intense fear paralyzed the limbs of the beautiful girl. Not very good at getting the clap. is all she can utter. With hand clasped, a face of marble, a heart beating so wildly in her bosom that each moment it seems as if it would break its confines. Eyes distended and fixed upon the window she waits, frozen with horror. The pattering and clattering of the nails continue. No word is spoken. And now she fancies she can trace the darker form of that figure against the window, and she can see the long arms moving to and fro. Seems like a long process of figuring out how to get into the tappity 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 tappity. I thought they had to ask permission. Gradually creeps up into the air, red and terrible, brighter and brighter. A subsequent vampire tradition. And the reflection of the rapidly consuming building falls upon that long window. I feel like we're building up to the no jump mistake. scare here, but the figure is <laughs> there, still feeling for an entrance and clattering against the glass with its long nails that appear as if the growth of many years had been untouched. She tries to scream again, but a choking sensation comes over her and she cannot. It is too dreadful. She tries to move. Each limb seems weighted down by tons of lead. She can but in a hoarse faint whisper cry, Help! 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 And that one word she repeats like a person in a dream. The red glare of the fire continues. It throws up the tall, gaunt figure in hideous relief against the tall window. It shows, too, upon the one portrait that is in the chamber. And the portrait appears to fix its eye upon the attempting intruder, while the flickering light from the fire makes it look fearfully lifelike. A small pane of glass is broken, and the form from without introduces a long, gaunt hand which seems Mm. utterly destitute of flesh. The The fastening is removed, and one half of the window, which opens like folding doors, is swung wide open upon its hinges. Yet she could not scream. She could not move. Help, 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 was all she could say. But oh, that look of terror that sat upon her face. It was dreadful. A look to haunt the memory for a lifetime. A look to obtrude itself upon the happiest moments and turn them to bitterness. The figure turns half round and the light falls upon its face. It is perfectly white, perfectly bloodless. The eyes look like polished tin, the lips are drawn back, and the principal feature next to those dreadful eyes is the teeth. The fearful-looking teeth, projecting like those of some wild animal, hideously, glaringly white and fang-like. It approaches the bed with a strange, gliding movement. It clashes together the long nails that literally appear to hang from the finger ends. No sound comes from its lips. Nosferatu kind of action. Beautiful girl exposed to so much terror. She has drawn up all her limbs. She cannot even now say help. The power of articulation is gone, but the power of movement has returned to her. Not this guy, though. She can draw herself slowly along to the other side of the bed from that towards which the hideous appearance is coming. He must must be hungry. Fascinated. (laughs) The glance of a serpent could not have produced a greater effect upon her than did the fixed gaze of those awful metallic-looking eyes that were bent down on her face. 
crouching down so that the gigantic height was lost right, he's just and the looking horrible, at her face. protruding white face was the most prominent object. I think, I think the neck is the really figure. kind of more what, <laughs> what he's was after. It? What did it want there? What made it look so hideous, so unlike an inhabitant of the earth and yet be on it? Now she has got to the verge of the bed and the figure pauses. She it should have picked as if Jacob. when it paused, she lost the power to proceed. <laughs> the clothing of the bed was now clutched in her hands with unconscious power. She drew her breath short and thick. Her bosom heaves and her limbs tremble, yet she cannot withdraw her eyes from that marble-looking face. He holds her with his glittering eye. The storm has ceased. All is still. The winds are hushed. The church clock proclaims the hour of one. A hissing sound comes from the throat of the hideous being, and he raises his long, gaunt arms. The lips move. He advances. The girl <laughs> places one small foot onto the floor. Boris she is unconsciously here. dragging the clothing with her. The door of the room is in that direction. Can she reach it? Has she power to walk? Can she withdraw her eyes from the face of the intruder and so break the hideous charm? Later God vampires kind of is it real mixed or some dream so like sort reality of sex is to nearly overturn judgment forever? Stuff. But this one the really has paused again, didn't really go that direction. And half out of it, it's more like a dirty old uncle than a uh, long hair streams across the entire width of the bed. Lover type. As she has slowly moved along, I mean, even, she has left it streaming even the across the Dracula pillow. wasn't. The pause lasted wasn't about as a much minute. of a pretty boy as oh, he is recently. Age of yeah. agony. That minute was indeed enough for madness to do its full work in. With a sudden rush that could not be foreseen, and with a strange howling cry that was enough to awaken terror in every breast, the figure Ooh. seized the long tresses of her hair <laughs> Maybe and it was Jacob. around his bony hands he held her to the bed. Then she screamed. Heaven granted her then power to scream. Shriek followed shriek in rapid succession. The bedclothes fell in a heap by the side of the bed. She was dragged by her long silken hair completely onto it again. Her beautifully rounded limbs quivered with the agony of her soul. The glassy, horrible eyes of the figure ran over that angelic form with a hideous satisfaction. Horrible profanation. He drags her head to the bed's edge. He forces it back by the long hair still entwined in his grasp. With a plunge, he seizes her neck in his fang-like teeth. A gush of blood and a hideous sucking sound follows. The girl has swooned, and the vampire is at his hideous repast. All right. Chapter 2. Wait, wait a minute, the wait a minute. Alarm. The Seized the neck in his teeth. No, in his fang-like fang -like teeth. Fang-like teeth, yes. Teeth, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> okay, um, this is sound sounding disturbingly canine for a basically a lightly cloaked rape scene. Right, so is he is he just taking a bite, or is he like no, ripping her throat No, there's a hideous sucking out? sound. Yes, there's well, hideous okay. sucking involved here. Yeah, yeah, in chapter two she'll be recovering from the loss of most of her body blood, but, um, oh no, chapter three I think that is. Okay. Um, and then everybody's going to be all worried because, you know, well, now she's going to turn into a vampire, right? Isn't that how it works? But I'm not. Yeah. Hey, no spoilers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is the, like one of the earliest vampire stories, though. I mean, in terms of like like um, written stuff. So a lot of the things that we recognize from the vampire genre are from later and were added after this. Like Varney is really not 
an appealing person. Right. Bram Stoker's Dracula is this like suave, urbane, sinister, you know. Um, Lord of the Manor type. Yeah. This guy is like Melmoth the Wanderer, just kind of traipsing around, you know, trying to figure out how he's what he you know how he's going to spend the last few you know years before his contract runs up and he has to go back to hell. And his name is Varney. <laughs> yeah. You oh, know. sorry, that's not oh. sexy. <laughs> Actually, his real name is Marmaduke Bannerworth. <laughs> well, in some versions. Does yeah, nothing yeah. go back and forth? Marmaduke or Runagate, I think, is the other oh, one. Oh, None of those are particularly... Yeah. I'm definitely interested to see how or what parts of the vampire mythology are going to be present, though. Like, for example, I know Sunlight didn't turn them to dust until I think the Nosferatu film. Yeah. Um, so I, without spoiling it, I'm I'm interested to see how he's going to be dispatched at the end, or what kind of things are going to hurt him. That it's going to be a long time. Oh yes, before yeah. we find that out, I'll <laughs> probably have my second child by then. But uh, these, these uh, wait, 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 second child? Is there something you're not telling us? No, not yet. I'm okay. just, it's in the plans. I'm just that, right. that, that's how long this right is on. going to be. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Well, it could. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because this kept London entertained for three solid years. You know, one week at a time. Poor James Malcolm Reimer. He obviously had a little bit of trouble keeping up. Um, so, just a quick history lesson. Um, obviously, I know pulps in America were published in magazines um what how was this published is was it like a little pamphlet that came out on its own were there penny dreadfuls that had multiple stories yeah no they were like little um like 16 page booklet things about like you know like that and the street urchins would pass them around among themselves and you know and it was 1845 so a lot of them couldn't read right but you know the ones who could <clears throat> But pulps, um, American, well, the dime novels kind of came out of this. And then you get like Deadwood Dick and um, um, there was a whole bunch of characters that were um, that, that had these like sort of like, um, what do you what do you say? Um, dramatic names. Um, and uh, but but they kind of they kind of came out of this. It really was a was a product of the fact that all of a sudden you could afford to print out stuff and sell it for super cheap, and so these right. guys would and just crank it out. Some of the uh, some of the penny dreadful authors were better than others. James Malcolm Reimer was one of the better ones because he he had a tendency to show rather than tell, and he didn't Tom Swift you, you know, um, with that sort of like uh, you know that that throwing an adjective on the end of every single speech and swapping in substitute words for the word said, like, you know, cried and shouted. and Right. Anyway. Well, let's, uh, let's forge ahead. Still shocked. The pursuit and its consequences. <clears throat> Lights flashed about the building and various room doors opened. Voices called to one another. There was a universal stir and commotion among the inhabitants. Did you hear a scream, Harry? 
asked a young man, half-dressed, as he walked into the chamber of another about his own age. You remember this I whole did. time, Where the vampire it? is sucking blood out of their sister. I dressed myself directly. <laughs> All is still now. <laughs> yes, but unless I was dreaming, there was a scream. We could not both dream there was. Where do you think it came from? No, they it were dreaming. It so suddenly upon <laughs> my ears that I cannot say. There was a tap now at the door of the room where these young men were, and a female voice said, For God's sake, get up! <laughs> we are up, said both the young men, appearing. Did you hear anything? Yes, a scream. Oh, search the house, search the house. Where did it come from, can you tell? Indeed we cannot, mother. Check every room Another with your sisters. Another person now joined the party. He was a man of middle age, and as he came up to them, he said, Good God, what is the matter? Scarcely had the words passed his lips than such a rapid succession of shrieks came upon their ears that they felt absolutely stunned by them. The elderly lady, whom one of the young men had called mother, fainted and would have fallen to the floor of the corridor <laughs> in which they all stood had she not been promptly supported by the last comer, who himself staggered as those piercing cries came upon the night air. He, however, was the first to recover, for the young men seemed paralyzed. Henry! He cried, for God's sake, support your mother. Can you doubt that those cries came from Flora's room? The young man mechanically <laughs> supported his salts. mother, and then the man who had just spoken darted back to his own bedroom, from whence he returned in a moment with a pair of pistols and shouting, Follow me, who can? He bounded across the corridor in the direction of the antique apartment, from whence the cries proceeded, but which were now hushed. The house was built for strength, and the doors were all of oak, and of considerable thickness. Unhappily they had fastenings within, so that when the man reached the chamber of her who so much required help, he was helpless, for the door was fast. Door! Flora! Flora! <laughs> he cried. Flora, speak! All was Stupid still. Stupid architect. Good guy, right. he added. We must force the door. <laughs> I hear a strange noise within, said the young man, who trembled violently. And so do I. What does it sound like? I scarcely know, but it closest resembles some animal eating or sucking some liquid. <laughs> oh, God. What on earth can it be? Have you no weapon what? that will force the door? I shall go mad if I am kept here. I have, said the young man. Wait a moment. It's he just the milk from the, the Count Chocula. presently returned with a small but powerful iron crowbar. I don't understand how this Flora's not already dead. It will. I mean, it these will. guys give it to me. These guys have been on conclave out in front not of the door word. for like My twenty minutes now. Excuse me, that something very dreadful. Must he just started have with the bad her. blood. She's actually healthier for a moment before he goes to the good blood. Somehow it curdles the very blood in my veins to hear it. The man took the crowbar and, with some difficulty, succeeded in introducing it between the door and the side of the wall. Still, it required great strength to move it, but it did move with a harsh, crackling sound. Push it cried he who was using the bar. Push the door at the same time. The younger man did so. <laughs> like those Comcast The massive turtles. door resisted. Then, suddenly, something gave way with a loud snap. It was part of the lock, and the door at once swung wide open. How true it is that we measure time by the events which happen within a given space of it, rather than by its actual duration. <laughs> How true it is that we to fill our columns To those who engaged in forcing open the door of the, the antique chamber, yeah. where slept the young girl whom they named Flora, each moment was swelled into an hour of agony. But in reality, from the first moment of the alarm to that when the loud, crackling noise heralded the destruction of the <clears> fastenings of the door, there had elapsed but very few minutes indeed. 
It opens. It opens. Mm. About 20, it seemed like to me. Another moment, (laughs) said the stranger as he still plied the crowbar. Another moment, and we shall have free ingress to the chamber. Be patient. And even as he spoke, he succeeded in throwing the massive door wide open and clearing the passage to the chamber. To rush in with a light in his hand was the work of a moment to the young man named Henry, but the very rapid progress he made into the apartment prevented him from observing accurately what it contained. Oh, of course. For the wind mm-hmm. that came in from the open window caught the flame of the candle, and although it did not actually extinguish it, blew it so much to one side that it was comparatively useless as light. Just like Flora, Henry. Flora! Flora! <laughs> then, with a sudden bound, something dashed from off the bed. The concussion against him was so sudden and so utterly unexpected as well as so tremendously violent that he was thrown down, and in his fall the light was fairly extinguished. All was darkness, save a dull, reddish kind of light that now and then from the nearly consumed mill in the immediate vicinity came into the room. But by that light, dim, uncertain, Hmm. and flickering as it was, someone was seen to make for the window. Henry although nearly stunned by his fall, saw a figure, gigantic in height, which reached nearly from the floor to the ceiling. The other young man, George, saw it, and Mr. Marchdale likewise saw it, as did the lady who had spoken to the young man in the corridor when first the screams of the young girl awakened alarm in the breasts of all the inhabitants of that house. The figure was about to pass out at the window, which led to a balcony from whence there was an easy descent to a garden. Before it passed out they each and all caught a glance of the side face, and they saw that the lower part of it and the lips were dabbled in blood. They saw too one of those fearful-looking shining metallic eyes which presented so terrible an appearance of unearthly ferocity. No wonder that for a moment I thought the eyes were golden after they paralyzed any exertions which might otherwise have been made to detain that hideous form. (laughs) But Mr. Marchdale was a man of mature years. He had seen much in life, both in this and in foreign lands, and he, although astonished to the extent of being frightened, was much more likely to recover sooner than his younger companions, which indeed he did and acted promptly enough. Don't rise, Henry! He cried, Lie still! Almost at the moment he uttered these words, he fired at the figure, which then occupied the window, as if it were a gigantic figure set in a frame. You gotta give him that. The report was tremendous in that chamber, for the pistol was no toy weapon, but one made for actual service, and of sufficient length and bore of barrel to carry destruction along with the bullets that came from it. If that has missed its aim, said Mr. Marchdale, I'll never pull trigger again. As he spoke, he dashed forward and made a clutch at the it's figure he felt convinced so much, he had uh, shot. So much leisurely, leisurely time him, in which to And when he got a full view of the face, this. which he did right. at that <clears throat> moment from the opportune circumstance so of the lady returning at the instant with a light she had been to her own chamber to procure, even he, Marchdale, with all his courage, and that was great, and all his nervous energy, recoiled a step or two and uttered the exclamation of, Great God! That like face the third time you said was that, one I think. Never so, yeah. to be forgotten. It was hideously flushed with color. I think color hideous probably is a good uh, The eyes had blood. a savage uh-huh. and remarkable luster, yeah. whereas before they had looked like polished Maybe tin, not the right book they to have now a wore game. a ten <laughs> times brighter aspect, and flashes of light seemed to dart from them. Oh! The mouth was open, 
as if from the natural formation of the countenance the lips receded much from the large canine-looking teeth. Hmm. A strange howling noise came from the throat of this monstrous figure, and it seemed upon the point of rushing upon Mr. Marchdale. Suddenly, then, as if some impulse had seized it, it uttered a wild and terrible shrieking kind of laugh, and then turning, dashed through the window, and in one instant disappeared from before the eyes of those who felt nearly annihilated by its fearful presence. God help us, ejaculated Henry. Mr. Marchdale drew a long breath and then, giving a stamp on the floor as if to recover himself from the state of agitation into which even he was thrown, he cried, "'Be it what or who it may, I'll follow it.' "'No, no, do not!' cried the lady. "'I must, I will. Let him who will come with me. I follow that dreadful form.' As he spoke, <laughs> he took to come the road it took and dashed through the window. "'Henry the and George!' Yeah, "'I guess.' "'And we too, George!' Come on, boys!' exclaimed Henry. "'We will follow Mr. Marchdale. This dreadful affair concerns us more nearly than it does him.' The lady, who was the mother of these young men, and of the beautiful <clears throat> girl who had been so awfully visited, screamed aloud and implored them to stay. But the voice of Mr. Marchdale was heard exclaiming aloud, I see it! I see it! It H makes to the wall! Has anybody checked on Flora yet? They hesitated no longer, you know, I don't think anybody rushed has. into the balcony, <laughs> and from thence <laughs> dropped into the garden. The mother approached the bedside About of the time. insensible, perhaps murdered girl. Oh, yep, she saw her to all appearances weltering in blood, and overcome by her emotions, she fainted on the floor Fain of the room. Okay, fainting's not, not very helpful. When the two young men reached the garden, <laughs> they found it much lighter than might have been fairly expected. For not only so was the morning rapidly approaching, but the mill right? was still burning. I was just thinking that. those mingled lights like, made almost every object plainly visible. Why are we fainting all the time? shadows were thrown it's from some gigantic in like ten trees that had stood for centuries in that sweetly wooded spot. You'd think this was a Lovecraft story. They heard the voice story. of Mr. Marchdale. Yeah. With all the fainting going on. There, yeah. there, toward the wall. There, there, God, how it bounds along. The young men hastily dashed through a thicket in the direction from whence his voice sounded, and they found him looking wild and terrified with something in his hand which looked like a portion of clothing. "'Which way? Which way?' they both cried in a breath. He leant heavily on the arm of George as he pointed along a vista of trees, and said in a low voice, "'God help us all. It is not human. Look there, look there. Do you not see it?' They looked in the direction he indicated. At the end of this vista was the wall of the garden. At that point it was full twelve feet in height, and as they looked they saw the hideous, monstrous form they had traced from the chamber of their sister, making frantic efforts to clear the obstacle. <laughs> they saw it bound from the ground to the top of the wall, which it very nearly reached, and then each time it fell back into the garden with such a dull, heavy sound that the earth doing, seemed to shake doing, again doing, with the concussion. Doing, they trembled. Doing. Well enough, they might. I'm just thinking some of hot fuzz when they jump the over all the fences over and over. efforts <laughs> to leave the place. I love that what? movie. What is it? Whispered Henry. In <laughs> this course would, meanwhile, doing, God, doing, doing. Look at it over there, and doing, not, doing, doing. Uh, that's what could happen God, if you miss your workout. It. it was cold and clammy, like a corpse. It cannot be human. Don't they still have an unfired pistol? Look at it now. It will surely yeah, escape they had two now. Of them, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. No, no. We will not be terrified thus. There is heaven above us. Come and for dear Flora's sake, let us make an effort yet to seize this bold intruder. 
Take this pistol. Oh, there it is. Yay! It is the fellow of the one I fired. Try its efficacy. He will be gone, exclaimed Henry, as at this moment, doing, after many doing, repeated doing. attempts and fearful falls, <laughs> the figure reached feet the top tall, of the wall, and then hung by its long arms a moment or two, previous to dragging itself it's completely out. Like vampire butt the peeking over the top what it might, entirely escaping, seemed to nerve again Mr. Marchdale. He's trying to get and to the car as well that Frankenberry's got warmed up. And forward towards the wall. They got so close to the figure before it sprang down on the other side of the wall that to miss killing it with the bullet from the pistol was a matter of utter impossibility, unless willfully. Henry had the weapon, and he pointed it full at the tall form with steady aim. He pulled the trigger. The explosion followed, and that the bullet did its office there could be no manner of doubt, for the figure gave a howling shriek and fell headlong from the wall on the outside. I have shot him! cried Henry. I have shot him. Chapter 3. The Disappearance of the Body. Well. Flora's Recovery and Madness. The Offer of Assistance from Sir Francis Varney. All right. Um. <coughs> it's actually, a, you know, florid language aside, a really <laughs> fun beginning. I mean, we got storms, we got action, we got gunshots, we got blood, we got screaming, fainting people. Yeah. It's not bad. It's after this that it slows away down. Yeah, you well, definitely set the hook good, but... Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and I have to wonder, I mean, I don't want to spoil stuff, but I have to wonder um, how far ahead he was working. Mm-hmm. Because... Um, you know, I've, I've, obviously, I've gone a little bit further. I, I'm, I'm on about chapter ninety, I think, um, oh, recording, okay. recording <laughs> the story, and um, there's stuff that happens in chapter, you know, seventy-two or whatever, that um, actually fits in with the stuff that's that's here. I mean, he can't have platformed, and he can't have figured it out very much because he didn't keep the names of the characters straight. And, um, you know, George disappears. You know, we got Henry and George Bannerworth, and then all of a sudden there's just Henry. And we never see George again. He just, poof. Yep, drug problem. I guess so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they probably he's probably a remittance man on some Caribbean island someplace. <clears throat> well, I think that that would make a fun spinoff. Um, <laughs> would? Yeah, man. I have to visit man. that later. Yeah. Yeah, we, we could we could start this tradition of of Barney the Vampire fan fiction. Yeah, he becomes <laughs> the werewolf hunter. <laughs> George Bannerworth, Wolf Bane. Yes. <laughs> All right, number three. He is human, cried Henry. I have killed him. I have surely killed him. Surely, it would seem so, said Mister Marchdale. Let us now hurry round Only to the outside of the wall absolutes. and see where he lies. Yeah, I thought I'd kill This him. was at once agreed to, and the three of them made what expedition they could toward a gate which led into a paddock across which they hurried, and soon found themselves clear of the garden wall, so that they could make way towards where they fully expected to find the body of him who had worn so unearthly an aspect, but who it would be an excessive relief to find was human. So hurried was the progress they made that it was scarcely possible to exchange many words as they went. A kind of breathless anxiety was upon them, 
and in the speed they disregarded every obstacle so, which would at any other time have probably prevented them this from is how it works the kids road they instead saw, of actually getting to the point on the outside of the wall to demonstrate to exactly that there was fast which action. was the precise you talk about how fast the action was for a long time the body had fallen but by That's following the wall point. its entire length surely they would come upon it surely they did so but to their surprise they got from its commencement to its further extremity without finding any dead body or even any symptom of one having lain there at some parts close to the wall there grew a kind of heath and consequently the traces of blood would be lost among it if it so happened that at the precise spot at which the strange being had seemed to topple over such vegetation had existed this was to be ascertained, but now, after traversing the whole length of the wall, twice they came to a halt and looked wonderingly in each other's faces. "'There is nothing here,' said Henry. "'Nothing,' added his brother. "'It could not have been a delusion,' at length said Mr. Marchdale with a shudder. "'A delusion?' exclaimed the brothers. "'That is not possible. We all saw it.' "'Then what terrible explanation can we give?' "'By heavens, I know not.' exclaimed Henry. This adventure surpasses all belief, and but for the great interest we have in it, I should regard it with a world of curiosity. It is too dreadful, said George. For God's sake, Henry, let us return to ascertain if poor Flora is killed. My senses, <laughs> said oh, Henry. Yeah, Flora. They were all so much absorbed in gazing at that horrible form that I never once looked toward her further than to see that she was, to appearance, dead, God help her, poor, poor, beautiful Flora. This is wow. indeed a sad, sad fate for you to come to. Flora, Flora. Could have saved her. Could said George. Rather let us now hasten home, where we may find that tears are premature. She may yet be living and restored to us. And, said Mr. Marchdale, <laughs> she may be able to give us some account of this dreadful visitation. True, true, exclaimed Henry. We will hasten home. They now turned their steps homewards, and as they went, they much blamed themselves for all leaving home together, and with terror pictured what might occur in their absence to those who you were think? now right? totally Because you can't leave the fainting machine it around was a to guard the place. Us all to come in pursuit of this dreadful figure, remarked Mr. Marchdale. Plot twist, but there were two of them. Yourself, Henry. There may be no <laughs> reason for One caused a distraction, the other one snuck back in. There you the go. they went, they very soon reached the ancient house, and when he they came in sight that. of it, they saw yeah. lights flashing from the windows and the shadows of faces moving to and fro, indicating that the whole household was up <laughs> and in a state of alarm. Oh, there's a bunch of servants in the Henry, house. Well, after some trouble, okay. got the hall door opened by a terrified servant who was trembling so much that she could scarcely hold the light she had with her. Speak at once, Martha, said Henry. Is Flora living? Yes, but... Enough, enough. Thank God she lives. Where is she now? Yeah, In no her own room, Master yes, Henry. But... Oh, dear, dear, what will become of us all? Henry rushed up the staircase, followed and by George and Mr. Marchdale. Yeah. Nor paused he once until he reached the room of his sister. Mother, he said before he crossed the threshold, are you here? I am, I am, my dear. Come in, come in, pray come in and speak to Flora. Come in, Mr. Marchdale, said Henry. Come in, we will make no stranger of you. They all entered the room. Several lights had now been brought into that antique chamber, and in addition to the mother of the beautiful girl who had been so fearfully visited, there were two female domestics 
who appeared to be in the greatest possible fright, for they could render no assistance whatever to anybody. <laughs> the at least they're not were fainting. down the mother's <laughs> right. face, and at the moment she saw Mr. Marchdale, she clung to his arm. That doesn't entirely make sense, does it? She was about, if they're too terrified to do anything, oh, why are they staying in the room? What is this that has happened? What is this? <laughs> Tell me, Marchdale. Robert Marchdale, you whom I have known even from my childhood, you will not deceive me. Tell Exposition. me the meaning of all this. Yes. I cannot, he said in a tone of much emotion. As God is my judge, I am as much puzzled and amazed at the scene that has taken place here tonight as you can be. The mother wrung her hands and wept. It was the storm that first awakened me, added Marchdale, and then I heard a scream. The brothers tremblingly approached the bed. Let me Flora repeat was everything that the reader has already seen. reclining yeah. posture propped up by pillows. She was quite insensible, and her face was fearfully pale while that she breathed at all could be but faintly seen. <clears throat> On some of her clothing about the neck were spots of blood, and she looked more like one who had suffered some long and grievous illness than a young girl in the prime of life and in the most robust health as she had been on the day previous to the strange scene we have recorded. Does she sleep? said Henry, as a tear fell from his eye upon her pallid cheek. Hmm. No, hmm. replied Mr. Marchdale. This is a swoon from which we must recover her. Active measures were now adopted to restore the languid circulation, hmm. and after persevering in them for some time, they had the satisfaction like of what? seeing her open Giving her, her eyes. Giving her brandy, maybe? Her first act upon <laughs> conversation, <laughs> however, That's what her Hercule Poirot would loud do. Shriek, and it was <laughs> not until Henry implored her to look around her and see that she was surrounded by none but friendly faces that she would venture again to open her eyes and look timidly from one to the other. They're all vampires! Then she shuddered and burst into tears as she said, Oh, heaven have mercy! Oh, heaven have mercy upon me! Heaven have mercy upon me and save me from that dreadful form! There is no one here, Flora, said Mr. Marchdale, but those well, who love you like and people. who in defense of you, if needs were, would lay down their lives. Oh, God! Oh, God! You have been terrified, but tell us distinctly what has happened. You are quite safe now. She trembled so violently that Mr. Uh -huh. Marchdale recommended that some stimulant should be given to her. Finally, finally the brandy comes out. See? To swallow a small portion of some wine from a cup. Wine? There could be no doubt but that the stimulating the effect Montiato of the wine was beneficial. She's a minor. slight accession yeah, of color of his <laughs> That's right. Okay. She's like 14 she years old. So tone, if she had she been said, drunk beforehand, would Varney have gotten oh, drunk after feeding on her? I shall die if left alone now. Oh, save me, save oh. me. That horrible form, that fearful It's another face. fan fiction idea. Yeah. Tell us how it happened, dear Flora. No, Varney no, visits no, the bar and feeds on the wrong people. I don't think I shall ever sleep again. Say not so. You will be more composed in a few hours. And Barney visited Timothy Leary one night and has never been seen again. She placed her hands over her face Barney for a moment fails as if to collect her scattered thoughts and then added, I was awakened by the storm and I saw that terrible After feasting on Hunter S. Thompson, Barney T. Vampire burst into flames. Fly. Oh, God, I could not fly. It came. It seized me by the hair. I know no more. I know no more. She passed her hand across her neck several times, and Mr. Marchdale said in an anxious voice, <clears throat> You seem, Flora, to have hurt your neck. There is a wound. A wound? said the mother, and she brought a light close to the bed, where all saw, on the side of Flora's neck, a small punctured wound. 
or rather two, for there was one a little distance from the other. I thought he had a whole bunch of teeth. It was from these yeah. wounds that the blood had come, which was observable upon That's what I wasn't sure clothing. about. He ma they made it sound more okay, like he was ripping at her throat instead of yeah. just yeah. Do not biting. Know, but... She replied, I feel very faint and weak, as if I had almost bled to death. <clears throat> you cannot have done so, dear Flora, for there are not above half a dozen spots of blood to be seen at all. Mr. Marchdale leaned against the carved head of the bed for support, and he uh, uttered a deep go. groan. All eyes this were turned upon him. This is one of my favorite him, parts. And Henry said in a voice of most anxious inquiry, Have you something to say, Mr. Marchdale, which will throw some light upon this affair? No, 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 nothing. Nothing to see Mr. here. Marchdale, nope. Not the droids you're looking once for. From the appearance of depression that had come over him. I have nothing to say, but that I think Flora had better get some sleep if she can. No sleep, no sleep for me. Yeah, Again, I don't blame her. Screamed Flora. Dare I be alone to sleep? But you shall not be alone, dear Flora," said Henry. "I will sit by your bedside and watch you." She took his hand in both hers, and while the tears the chased each other down her cheeks, she said, "Promise me, Henry, by all your hopes of heaven, you will not leave me." I promise. She laid herself down with a deep sigh and closed her eyes. She is weak and will sleep long, said Mr. Marchdale. You sigh, said Henry. Some fearful thoughts, I feel certain, get to oppress the your heart. Yet. Hush, hush, said Mr. Marchdale, as he pointed to Flora. Hush, Mr. Marchdale has here, a line to here. deliver. I understand, said Henry. Let her sleep. There was a <clears> silence <throat> of some few minutes' duration. Flora had dropped into a deep slumber. That silence was first broken by George, who said... Mr. Marchdale, look at that portrait. He pointed to the portrait in the frame to which we have alluded, and the moment Marchdale looked at it, he sunk into a chair as he exclaimed, Gracious heaven, how like! It is, it is, said Henry. Those eyes! And see the contour of the countenance and the strange shape of the mouth. Exact, exact! That picture shall be moved from here. The sight of it is at once sufficient to awaken all her former terrors in poor Flora's brain if she should chance to awaken and cast her eyes suddenly upon it. It's just Dorian Gray. It so like him? <laughs> it's him Dorian Gray. The yeah. It is the very man himself. Well, the funny part Mr. is, Lockdale. nobody in this entire spoiler alert, nobody in this entire story ever thinks be. about putting something it over is, it. Said Henry. The like, portrait of Sir Renegade Bannerworth, no. an ancestor of ours who Renegade. first, by his vices, yeah, gave a great blow now. to the family prosperity. Uh, I guess he was Marmaduke later. How long ago? <laughs> about ninety years. Ninety years tis a long while. Ninety years. You muse upon it. No, no, I, I do wish, and yet I dread. What? To say something to you all. But not here, not here. We will hold a consultation on this matter tomorrow. Not now, not now. The daylight is coming quickly on, said Henry. It's I tomorrow keep now. I my sacred promise of not moving from this room till Flora awakens, but there can be no occasion for the detention of any of you. One is sufficient here. Go, all of you, and endeavor to procure what rest you can. I will fetch you my powder flask and bullets, said Mr. Marchdale. And you can, if you please, reload the pistols. In about two hours more, it will be broad daylight. This arrangement was adopted. Henry did reload the pistols and placed them on a table by the side of the bed, ready for immediate action. And then, as Flora was sleeping soundly, all left the room but himself. Mrs. Bannerworth was the last to do so. 
She would have remained but for the earnest solicitation of Henry that she would endeavor to get some sleep to make up for her broken night's repose, and she was indeed so broken down by her alarm on Flora's account that she had not power to resist, but with tears flowing from her eyes she sought her own chamber. And fainted and in it. Now yeah, she's had plenty of rest, of the you fainted twice. I know, right? Evil-fated mansion, and although no one really slept but Flora, all were still. Busy thoughts. Still is the very grave. Everybody drink. It was a mockery to lie down at all. And Henry, full of strange and painful feelings as he was, preferred his present position to the anxiety and apprehension on Flora's account. I have to get a bottle of this to write with. Yeah. She were not within the sphere of his own observation. And she slept as soundly as some gentle infant tired of its playmates and its sports. I need a cask of it. Chapter four. And a fake wall. The morning. <laughs> no, the not the fake wall. There's <laughs> such a thing as too much. <laughs> what wonderfully different impressions and feelings with regard to the same circumstances ah, we're philosophizing come across again. the mind in the broad, clear, and beautiful light of day yes. to what haunt the imagination and often render the judgment almost incapable of action. When the Almost. heavy shadow of night is yeah. upon all things, the purple prose there is haunting my must imagination. must be a downright <laughs> physical reason for this effect. Yes, it it's called so daylight. And so <laughs> universal. It seems so that universal. the sun's rays so completely alter and modify the constitution of the atmosphere that it produces as we inhale it a wonderfully different effect upon the nerves of the human subject. I need the money. We can account for this phenomenon in no other way. Perhaps (laughs) never in his life had he, Henry Bannerworth, felt so strongly this transition of feeling as he now felt it, when the beautiful daylight gradually dawned upon him as he kept his lonely watch (sighs) by the bedside of his slumbering sister. Yeah, I feel for him. The watch had been a perfectly (laughs) undisturbed one. Not the least sight or sound of any intrusion had reached his senses. All had been as Not still much the least sight or sound of any grave. plot points has reached mine, yet, but... <laughs> while the night lasted, and he was more indebted to the rays of the candle which he had placed upon a shelf for the power to distinguish objects than to the light of the morning, a thousand uneasy and strange sensations had found a home in his agitated bosom. He looked so many times at the portrait which was in the panel that at length he felt an undefined sensation of terror creep over him whenever he took his eyes off it. He tried to keep himself from looking at it, but he found it vain. I so wonder if this was the perhaps inspiration was for Dorian the Gray. best plan, namely to look I mean, at it continually. this isn't a magic picture, but still. He shifted his chair yeah. so that he could gaze upon it without any effort, and he placed the candle so that a faint light was thrown upon it. And there he sat, a prey to many conflicting and uncomfortable feelings, until the daylight began to make the candle flame look dull and sickly. Solutions for the events of the night he could find none. He racked his imagination in vain to find some means, however vague, of endeavoring to account for what occurred. And still he was at fault. All was to him wrapped in the gloom of the most profound mystery. And how strangely, too, the eyes of that portrait appeared to look upon him, as if instinct with life, as if the head to which they belonged was busy in endeavoring to find out the secret communings of his soul. Now it feels like Scooby-Doo. It was wonderfully well executed, that portrait, so lifelike that the very features seemed to move as you gazed upon them. I'm trying to mix in some effects and see what we can get. 
said Henry. I would remove it now, but that it seems absolutely painted on the panel, and I should wake Flora in any attempt to do so. Well, he is he thinking. He rose and ascertained <laughs> that such was the case, and that it would require a workman with proper tools adapted to the job. So we couldn't just the portrait. We couldn't just tack a. True. A, you know, he said, "I might now destroy it, but it is a pity to obscure a work of such rare art as this is. I should blame myself if I were." It shall be removed to some other room of the house, however. <clears throat> then, all of a sudden, you just it turn struck it Henry how foolish it would <laughs> yeah. be to remove the portrait from the wall of a room which in all likelihood after that <laughs> night would be uninhabited. For it was not probable that Flora would choose again to inhabit a chamber in which she had gone through so much terror. He's got a point. It yeah, can be left where likely, it is, but he said. And we can fasten up, if we please, and, even the yeah. very door of this room, so that no one need trouble themselves any further about it. The morning was now coming fast, and just as Henry thought he would partially draw a blind across the window, in order to shield from the direct rays of the sun the eyes of Flora, she awoke. Help! Help! she cried, and Henry was by her side in a moment. You are safe, Flora, you are safe, he said. Where, where is it now? she said. What, what, dear Flora? The dreadful apparition! Oh, what have I done to be made thus perpetually miserable? Think no more of it, Flora. I must think. My must brain is on bad. fire. Yeah. A million of strange eyes seem to be gazing on me. She's only like Great 13 heavens, years old. What can she have possibly have done? Henry. Hark, hark, hark. He comes on the wings of the storm. Oh, it is most horrible, horrible. Henry rang the bell, but not sufficiently loudly to create any alarm. The sound reached the waking ear of the mother, who in a few moments was in the room. She has awakened, said Henry, and has spoken, but she seems to me to wander in her discourse. For God's sake, soothe her, and, and try to bring her mind round to its usual state. I will, Henry, I will. And think, mother, if you were to get her out of this room and into some other chamber, as far removed from this one as possible, it would tend to withdraw her mind from what has occurred. Yes, it shall be done. Oh, Henry, what was it? What do you think it was? Lost in a sea of wild conjecture, <laughs> I can form no conclusion. Why didn't Where they is move Mr. Her Marchdale? Did they have a good Let reason? in his chamber. Then I will go and consult with him. And she wanted her to sleep. Henry proceeded mm. at once to the chamber, which was as Apparently he knew, she didn't occupied the by Mr. Disease. Marchdale. <laughs> and as he crossed the corridor, he could not but pause a moment to glance from a window at the face of nature. As is often the case, the terrific storm Exposition of the preceding break. evening had cleared the air and rendered it deliciously invigorating and lifelike. The weather had been dull, and there had been for some days a certain heaviness in the atmosphere which was now entirely removed. The morning sun was shining with uncommon brilliancy. Birds were singing in every tree and on every bush. So pleasant, so spirit-stirring, health-giving a morning <laughs> seldom had he seen. And the effect on his spirits was great. It's like as opposite of that storm what as it possible. Might have been, had all gone on as <laughs> it usually was in the habit of doing at that well house. Well played, Mr. The ordinary Reimer. little casualties of evil <laughs> fortune had certainly from time to time, in the shape of illness and one thing or another, attacked the family of the Bannerworths in common with every other family. But here, suddenly, had arisen a something at once terrible and inexplicable. 
he found Mr. Marchdale up and dressed ah, and go. apparently in deep and anxious thought. The moment he saw Henry, he said, Flora is awake, I presume? Yes, but her mind appears to be much disturbed. From bodily weakness, I dare say. But why should she be bodily weak? She was strong and well, aye, as well as she could ever be in all her life. The glow of youth and health was on her cheeks. Is it possible that in the course of the night she should become bodily weak to such an extent? Henry, said Mr. Marchdale, sadly, sit down. <laughs> uh, I am not, as you know, a superstitious man. You certainly are not. But... And yet, I never in all my life was so absolutely staggered as I have been by the occurrences of tonight. Say on. There is a frightful, a hideous solution for them. One which every consideration will tend to add strength to. One which I tremble to name now, though yesterday at this hour I should have laughed it to scorn. Indeed. Yes, it is so. Tell no one that which I am about to say to you. Let the dreadful suggestion remain with ourselves alone, Henry Bannerworth. Hi. Man I and am wife. Lost Say in man and wife. You promise me? What? What? That that you will not repeat my opinion to anyone. I do. On your honor. On my honor, I promise. <laughs> to the Mr. Point. Archdale rose and proceeding to the door, Oops. looked out to see that there were no listeners near. Having ascertained then that they were quite alone, he, he returned, up. and drawing That's a chair right. close to that on which Henry sat, he said, Henry, have you never heard of a strange and dreadful superstition which in some countries is extremely rife, by which it is supposed that there are beings who never die? Never die? Never. In a word, Henry, have you heard of, of, I dread to pronounce the word, Speak it, God of heaven, let me hear it. <laughs> yes! <A> vampire! <laughs> Henry sprang to his Yay! feet, his whole frame motion. They said it. Perspiration <laughs> yes. stood upon his brow as in a strange voice. I tried voice to pronounce it. The words. It's a different a language. Vampire. Oh, am I saying so, this right? <laughs> one who has to renew a dreadful existence by human blood. Blood! One who eats not and drinks not as other men. A vampire. vampire. Henry dropped into his seat and uttered a deep groan of the most exquisite anguish. I could echo that groan, said Marchdale, but that I am so thoroughly bewildered I know not what to think. Good God! Good God! Do not too readily yield to belief in so dreadful a supposition, I, I pray you. Yield belief! <laughs> exclaimed Henry After as all he that rose up, but that might not be what it is. I just above yeah. his head. No, by heaven and the great God of all who there rules, I will I not believe easily it. believe aught so awful and so monstrous. I applaud your sentiment, Henry. Not willingly would I deliver up myself to so frightful a belief. It is too horrible. Too I merely horrible. have told you of, of that which you saw was on my mind. You have surely before heard of such things? I have. I have. I marvel <clears throat> then that the supposition did not occur to you, Henry. It did not. It did not, Marchdale. It. Could you it say was that word too again? Dreadful, I suppose, to find Vampire? Am I saying heart. it right? <laughs> oh, Flora, Flora! If this horrible idea should once occur to you, reason cannot, I am quite sure, uphold you against it. Let no one presume to insinuate it to her, Henry. I would not have mentioned <laughs> it to her for worlds. Nor I. Nor I. Good God! I shudder at the very thought—the mere possibility. 
But there is no possibility. There can be none. I will not believe it. Nor I. No, <laughs> oh, goodness, well, good. grace and mercy. I will not believe oh, it. Oh, man. Tis well sworn, Henry. And now, discarding the supposition that Flora has been visited by a vampire, close. let us seriously no. set about endeavoring, if we can, to account for what has happened in this house. I... I cannot now. Nay, let us examine the matter. If we can find any natural explanation, let us cling to it, Henry, as the sheet anchor of our very souls. It's just Jack Do the Ripper. Don't worry about it. Do you think you are fertile in expedients? Do you think, Marchdale, and for heaven's sake, for the sake of our worn peace, find out some other way of accounting for what has happened than the hideous one you have suggested? Well, and there's real estate my fraud. Bullets not, <laughs> and he has left tokens of his presence on I'm the deck of Flora. Not actually kidding. Peace, oh <laughs> peace, oh peace! Do not, I pray you, accumulate reasons why I should receive such a dismal, awful superstition. Landshark. Do not, oh do not, Marchdale, <laughs> as you love me. Candy you know Graham. my attachment to you, said Marchdale, is sincere, and yet, heaven help us. His voice was broken by grief as he spoke, and he turned aside his head to hide the bursting tears that would... Bursting tears? Okay, I lied before. I do think it's a vampire. (laughs) Added Henry, after a pause of some moments' duration. I will sit up tonight with my sister. Do, do. You sit up. I'm going to sleep. Come again. (laughs) I cannot... I dare not speculate upon the coming of so dreadful a visitor, Henry, but I will hold watch with you most willingly. You you will, Marchdale? My hand upon it. Come what dangers may, I will share them with you, Henry. Somebody the has to fire things. at it and miss. Say nothing then to George of what we have been talking <laughs> about. He is of a highly he susceptible did. nature. He said he was never going to pull the trigger again if he missed. Actually, I don't think I he will. did. Be mute. Well, remove your sister to some other chamber. Let me beg you. We don't know. Henry. There was no. Sign. I can't remember whether he ever shoots again. Be suggestive. He might horrible not. Thoughts. <laughs> I will. A man of and his that word. dreadful-looking portrait with its perfect likeness to him who came last night. Perfect indeed. Do you intend to remove it? I do not. I thought of doing so, but it is actually on the panel in the wall, and I would not willingly destroy it. And it may well remain where it is in that chamber, which I can readily now believe will become henceforth a deserted one in this house. It may well become such. Who comes here? I hear a step. Paint a little mustache. There was a tap on the door at this moment, and (laughs) George made his appearance in answer to the summons to come in. He looked pale and ill. His face betrayed how much he had mentally suffered during the night, and almost directly he got into the bed. Poor George. He said, he suffered. I shall, I am sure, be censured by you both for what I am going to say, but I cannot help saying it, nevertheless, for to keep it to myself would destroy me. Good God, George, what is it? said Mr. Marchdale. Speak it out, said Henry. Speak, I have been speak. thinking of what has occurred before. And the result of that thought has been one of the wildest suppositions that ever I thought I should have I wonder to entertain. what he could have in mind. Have you never heard of a vampire? Oh. Henry sighed deeply and Marchdale oh, The secret silent. genius, George. I say a vampire, <laughs> added George with much excitement in his manner. It is fearful, a horrible supposition, but poor dear Flora has been visited by a vampire and I shall go completely mad. Curious <laughs> <laughs> George. And covering his face with his hands, he wept bitterly and abundantly. Have you not? <laughs> George, <laughs> said Henry, when bitterly he saw that the frantic grief having some measure abated. 
Be calm, George, and endeavor to listen to me. I hear, Henry. Well, then, do not suppose that you are the only one in this house to whom so dreadful a superstition has occurred. <clears throat> Haven't you seen the, the character on my cereal box? No, right. it occurred to Mr. Marchdale also. Frankenstein? Gracious heavens! <laughs> he repeated it to me, but we have both agreed to repudiate it with horror. To <laughs> repudiate it? Yes, George. And yet... To pretend that yet, isn't what happened. Hush, hush. I know what you would say. You would tell us that our repudiation of it cannot affect the fact. Of that we are aware, but yet will we disbelieve that which a belief in would be enough to drive us mad. What do you intend to do? To keep this supposition to ourselves in the first that I place, know that you to know. guard it most <laughs> zealously from the ears of Flora. Do you think she ever heard of vampires? I never heard her mention that now. in all her reading she had gathered even a hint of such a fearful superstition. If she has, we must be guided by circumstances and do the best we can. Pray heaven she may not. Amen to that prayer, George, said Henry. Mr. Marchdale and I intend to keep watch over Flora tonight. May not I join you? Your health, dear George, will not permit you to engage in such matters. Do you seek your natural repose? Leave it to us to do the best we can in this most fearful and terrible emergency. That's why we never hear from George As you again. please, brother, I and as you please, have, Mr. Marchdale, I know that I am a frail <laughs> reed, and my belief is that this affair will kill me quite. The truth is I am horrified, utterly and frightfully horrified. Like my poor, dear sister, I do not believe I shall ever sleep again. Do not fancy oh, that, George, big weenie. said Marchdale. <laughs> you very much add to the uneasiness which must be your poor mother's portion by allowing this circumstance to so affect you. You will know her affection for you all, and let me, therefore, as a very old friend of hers, entreat you to wear as cheerful an aspect as you can in her presence. For once in my life... Said George sadly, I will, to my dear mother, endeavor to play the hypocrite. Do so, <laughs> said Henry. Poor George. Will sanction any such deceit as that, George, be assured. Hypocrite? The day wore on, and poor Flora remained in a very precarious situation. It was not until midday that Henry made up his mind that Everybody's he was all worried about her having lost a bunch of blood. Nobody's offering to let her to drink the any of theirs. Henry resolved upon, under a promise of secrecy, making a confidant of. But long before he reached him, he found he might well dispense with the promise of secrecy. He had never thought, so engaged had he been with other matters, that the servants were cognizant of the whole affair, and that from them he had <laughs> oh, no, no expectation. The dude obviously has never watched an episode, a single details. episode of Downton Abbey. Of course, Abbey. such an yeah. opportunity <laughs> for tale-bearing and gossiping was not likely to be lost, and while Henry was thinking over how he had better act in the matter, the news that Flora Bannerworth had been visited in the night by a vampire... For the servants named yeah, visitation vampire. such at once was spreading all over the country oh, as no. he rode it's along, on instagram it's on, on twitter it's on snapchat the, and who, the queen's gonna make an official scheme, statement him, yeah. well, good morning mr bannerworth good morning responded henry and he would have ridden on but the gentleman added excuse me for interrupting you sir but what is this strange story that is in everyone's mouth about a vampire Henry nearly the fell off his horse, he was so much goals. astonished. Yes. And the animal round, he said, in, in everybody's mouth? 
Yes, I have heard it from at least a dozen persons. You surprise me. Is it untrue? Of course, I am not so absurd to really believe about the vampire, but, but, but there is no foundation to it at all. We generally find that at the bottom of these common reports, there is a something around which, as a, as a nucleus, the whole has formed. My, my sister is unwell. Oh, and that's all. It really is too bad now. It's just tuberculosis. We had a yes. last night. <laughs> I don't know why they're thief, all so worried. Isn't this the time yes, when they I, I did bloodletting to make I you feel better? Yeah, yeah. She was terrified. Leeches? Oh, I mean, hey. And upon such a thing is grafted a story of a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. Now her humors are in balance. Upon her neck and, and win, all the win. Right. particulars. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, good morning, Mr. Bannerworth. Henry bade the gentleman good morning, and much vexed at the publicity which the affair had already obtained, he set spurs to his horse, determined that he would speak to no one else upon so uncomfortable a theme. Several attempts were made to stop him, but he only waved his hand and trotted on. Nor did he pause his well, speed his till he reached on. the door of Mr. Yeah. Chillingworth, the medical man whom he intended to consult. Henry knew that at such a time he would be at home which was the case, and he was soon closeted with the man of drugs. <laughs> Henry begged drugs. his patient here, we go. which that's what recorded, to he related to him at <laughs> yes. full length what had happened, not omitting, to the best uh. of his remembrance, any one particular. When he had concluded his narration, the doctor <clears throat> shifted his position several times and then said, That's all? Yes, and enough, too. More than enough, I should say, my young friend. You astonish me. Can you form any supposition, sir, on the subject? Uh, not just now. What is your own idea? I Come cannot on, be fire. said to have one about it. <laughs> it is too absurd to tell you that my brother George is impressed with the belief that a, a vampire has visited the house. <laughs> I never in my life heard a more circumstantial narrative nice, in favor uh, of so hideous a superstition. Yep. Well, but you... Cannot uh, believe. Believe what? That the dead can come to life again and by such a process keep up vitality? Do you take me for a fool? Certainly not. Of course not. Then why do you ask me such questions? But the <laughs> glaring facts of the case? I don't care. If they were ten times more glaring, I won't believe it. I would rather believe you were <laughs> all mad, not. the whole family of you, and that the full of the moon, you were all a little cracked. <laughs> and so would all I. Right, Scully, all right. You go home now, and I will call and see your sister in the course of two hours. Something may turn up yet to throw some light on this strange subject. The swamp gas. Misunderstanding, <laughs> <laughs> Henry went home and did not care to ride Whippets. as fast as before in order to avoid questions, so that he got back to his old ancestral home without going through the disagreeable ordeal of having to explain to anyone I really want Adam Sandler to play Varney the in the uh, animated movie. <laughs> when Henry reached his home, he found that the evening was rapidly coming on, and before he could permit himself to think upon any other subject, he inquired how his terrified sister had passed the hours during his absence. He found that but little improvement had taken place in her, and that she had occasionally slept, but to awaken and speak incoherently as if the shock she had received had had some serious effect upon her nerves. He repaired at once oh. to her room, and finding that she was awake, Can't he leaned over her be. and spoke tenderly to her. Flora, he said. Dear Flora, are you better now? Harry, is that you? Yes, dear. Oh, tell me what has happened. 
Have you not a recollection, Flora? Yes, yes, Henry, but, but what was it? They none of them will tell me what it was, Henry. I remember it perfectly, calm, but dear. tell it to me anyway. No doubt some attempt to rob the house. That was so? it, yeah. yeah. Yes, the bay window the was particularly adapted for such a purpose, but now that you are removed here to this room, you will be you able to rest safe. in peace. I should die of terror, Henry. Even now those eyes are glaring at me so hideously. Oh, it is frightful. It is very fearful, Henry. Do you not pity me? And no one will promise to remain with me at night. Indeed, Flora, you are mistaken. Assholes. For I intend to sit by your bedside armed and so protect you from all harm. She clutched his hand eagerly as she said, You will, Henry, you will, and not think it too much trouble, dear Henry. It can be Way no trouble, Flora. There's a vampire at the window. Rest in <laughs> For I know that the dreadful vampire cannot come to me when you are by. <laughs> the, 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 the what, Flora? The vampire, Henry. It was a vampire. Oh, that's Good the God. first time I've heard that Who word. Are you saying so? it right? No one. I have read of them in the Book of Travels in Norway, which Mr. Marchdale lent us all. Alas, alas groaned Henry. The cat's out of the discard bag and I can't even beat up George for leaking mind. it. Can you discard thoughts? What power <laughs> have we but from the mind, which is ourselves? True, true. Hark, what noise is that? I thought I heard a noise. Henry, when you go ring for someone first, was there not a noise? The accidental shutting of some door, dear. Was that it? Tappity, tappity, tappity. Then I am Doing, doing, doing. <laughs> I sometimes fancy I am in my tomb, and that someone is feasting on my flesh. They no. do say, too, that those who in life have been bled by a vampire become themselves vampires nope, there it and is. have the same yeah. horrible taste for blood as oh. those before them. Is it not horrible? Like you me. only vex yourself with such thoughts, Flora. Mr. Chillingworth is coming to see you. Can he minister to a mind diseased? But yours is not, Flora. Your mind is healthful. And Wait a couple so, years, you can get a lobotomy. extends not huh. so far, we will thank heaven, dear Flora, that you need it not. She sighed deeply, and she <laughs> this said, is the origin story me. of the Volturi. No, not, Henry. <laughs> the dreadful being held on to my hair. I must have it all taken off. I tried to get away, but it dragged me back. A brutal thing it was. Oh, then at that moment, Henry, I felt as if something strange took place in my brain and that I was going mad. I saw those glazed Sandy eyes Jack. close to mine. <laughs> I felt a hot, pestiferous breath upon my face. Help! Help! Hush, my Flora, hush. Look at me. I am calm again. I am calm again. It fixed its teeth in my throat. Did I faint away? You did, dear. But let me pray you to refer all this to imagination, or at least the greater part of it. But you saw it. Yes, all saw it. We all saw some man, a housebreaker. It must have been some housebreaker. What more easy, you know, dear Flora, than to assume some disguise? Was anything <laughs> stolen? He was Not on stilts, clearly. It was like robbing the bank in a Nixon mask, Flora you know? <laughs> Just the kind of thing voice. that happens. Oh, Nightmare with a point break moment. Oh, yes. <laughs> it killed me. He pulls the trigger now one more time in the sky. Live. I hear it breathing now. Talk of something else, dear Flora, said the much distressed Henry. You will make yourself much worse if you indulge yourself in these strange fancies. Oh, that they were but fancies. They are, believe me. 
There is a strange confusion. Hmm. Who are you going to believe, brain. me and or your lying eyes, Flora? When I least expect it, <laughs> Henry, Henry, what I was, I shall never, never be again. Say not so. Welcome All this will to pass the land away of like a undead. dream, and leave so faint a trace yep. upon your memory that the time comes when you will wonder that it ever made so deep an impression on your mind. You utter these words, Henry, she said, but they do not come from your heart. Oh, no, no, no. Who comes? The door was opened by Mrs. Bannerworth, who said, It is only me, my dear. Henry, here is Dr. Chillingworth in the dining room. Henry turned to Flora, saying, You will see him, dear Flora? You, you know Mr. Chillingworth well. Yes, Henry, I will see him, or whoever you please. Show Mr. Chillingworth up, said Henry to the servant. In a few moments the medical man was in the room, and he at once approached the bedside to speak to Flora, upon whose pale countenance he looked with evident Isn't Chillingworth interest. Chillingworth the husband from the Scarlet Letter? At the same letter? time it seemed mingled with a painful I feeling. I think he is. At least yeah. so his own face indicated. Crossover. Well, Miss Bannerworth, what is all this I hear about an ugly dream you have had? A dream? said Flora as she fixed her beautiful eyes on his face. Yes, as I understand. She shuddered and was silent. Was it not a dream, then? asked Mr. Chillingworth. She wrung her hands, and in a voice of extreme anguish and pathos, said, Would it were a dream, would it were a dream. Oh, if anyone could but convince me it was a dream. Challenge well, accepted! Tell me what it was. <laughs> yes, sir, it was a vampire. <clears throat> Mr. Chillingworth glanced at Henry as he said, in reply to Flora's <laughs> words, I suppose that is, after all, another name, Flora, for the nightmare? No, no, no. Do you really, then, persist in believing anything so absurd, Miss Bannerworth? What can I say to the evidence of my own senses? She's hysterical. She replied, yeah. I saw it. Henry saw it. George saw it. Mr. Marchdale, my Nothing mother, the staff at a loony bin can't we could fix. Not all right? be at the oh, wait, same that's time late Victorian. This is mid Victorian. Right. How faintly you speak. I am very faint and ill. Indeed. What wound is that on your neck? A wild expression came over the face of Flora, a spasmodic action of the muscles, accompanied with a shuddering as if a sudden chill had come over the whole mass of blood took place, and she said, What whole mass of blood? Left by the teeth right. of the vampire. It's all gone. The smile was a forced one upon the face of Mr. Chillingworth. Drop the blind of the window, Mr. Henry he said, and let me examine this puncture to which your sister attaches so extraordinary a meaning. The blind was drawn up, and a strong light was thrown into the room. For full two minutes, Mr. Chillingworth attentively examined the two small wounds in the neck of Flora. One, He took a powerful two. magnifying glass mm. from his pocket so he's and actually looked the at him through it. After his examination was concluded, he said, One, two, beautiful puncture wounds. <laughs> said Henry. By some insect, I should say, which probably, it being the season for many insects, hmm. has flown in at the window. Let me just mansplain this to you, shall yes. <laughs> Actually. Which is a kind insect. one, and I ought to be the last to quarrel with it. Well, just, but what just a I'm big seen, fucking mosquito. I know, right? I don't I want to meet not, that insect in a dark alley. Am, oh, not unless I got my blackjack with me. How do you now feel in general health? <laughs> Far from well, and a strange drowsiness at times creeps over me. 
Even now I feel it. She sunk back on the pillows yes, it's as called she blood spoke loss. and closed her eyes with a deep sigh. <laughs> Mr. Chillingworth beckoned Henry down, to honey. come with him from the room, but the latter had promised that he would remain with Flora, and as Mrs. Bannerworth had left the chamber because she was unable to control her feelings, he <laughs> rang the bell and requested that his mother would come. She did so, and then Henry went downstairs along with the medical man, whose opinion he was certainly eager to now be made acquainted with. As soon as they were alone in the old-fashioned room, which was called the Oak Closet, Henry turned to Mr. Chillingworth and said, What now is your candid opinion, sir? You have seen my sister and those strange, indubitable evidences of something wrong. I have, and to tell you candidly the truth, Mr. Henry, I am sore perplexed. I thought you would be. It is not often that a medical man likes to say so much, nor is it indeed often prudent that he should do so, but in this case I own that I am much puzzled. It is contrary to all my notions upon such subjects. Those wounds, what do you think of them? Typical I know not what to think. I am completely puzzled as regards them. <laughs> but, but they do not really bear the appearance of being bites. They really do. And so... And... So far, they are actually in favor of the dreadful supposition which poor Flora entertains? So far, they certainly are. I have no doubt in the Time world of their being pedal. bites, but yeah. you must not jump to a conclusion that the teeth which inflicted them were human. I knew it was a vampire all along. Human. It is oh, a strange case, and it. one which I feel assured must give you all much uneasiness, as indeed it gave me, but... As I said before, I will not let my judgment give in to the fearful and degrading superstition which all the circumstances connected with this strange story <laughs> would seem to justify. It is a degrading superstition. To my mind, your sister seems to be laboring under the effect of some narcotic. Indeed. Hmm. Yes, unless she really has lost she the quantity into George's of blood stash. which <laughs> the sufficiently to produce the languor under which she now evidently labors. Oh, that I could believe the former supposition, but I am confident she has taken no narcotic. She could not even do so by mistake, for there is no drug of the sort in the house. That's what you Besides, think. Besides, she yeah. is not heedless George by just means. doesn't share. No. I am quite convinced that she has not done so. Then I am fairly puzzled, my young friend. I can only say that I would freely have given half of what I am worth to see that figure you saw last night. Half. What would, what would <laughs> you have half. Just half. I would not have lost <laughs> sight of it for all the world's wealth. You would have felt your blood freeze with horror. The face was terrible. And yet let it lead me where it liked, I would have followed. I wish you had been you here. You pussies. Why didn't you chase it down? <laughs> if I thought there was the least right. chance for another visit, I would come and wait with patience every yeah, night. Doctor. Oh, I would have ignored the dying woman on the bed and just followed the not-vampire. I believe our friend Mr. Marchdale will share my watch with me. Mr. Chillingworth appeared to be, for a few moments, lost in thought and then, suddenly rousing himself as if he yeah. found it either impossible to come to any rational conclusion Sorry, Henry, I have a ship to the new world I gotta catch. <laughs> he chose to keep to himself, he said, Well, well, we must leave the matter at present as it stands. A time may accomplish something towards its development, but at present so palpable a mystery I never came across, or a matter in which human calculation was so completely foiled. 
Nor I. Nor I. <laughs> Call me if she turns into a vampire. I some medicine, mm-hmm. such as We're I think a wait will be see of approach. service to Flora, <laughs> and depend upon seeing me by ten o'clock tomorrow morning. <laughs> you have, of course, heard something, said Henry to the doctor as he was pulling on his gloves, about vampires. <clears throat> I certainly have, and I understand that in some countries, particularly Norway and Sweden, the superstition is a very common one. Norway and Sweden? i never heard about yes. Swedish vampires. The ghosts of the Mahometans are of the same description of beings. They're kind of like All Swedish fish. All that I have fish. heard of the European <laughs> vampire has kinda made chewy. it a being which it's can Ikea. be killed, but it's is those Ikea bastards. the rays of a full moon <laughs> falling on the body. Put a huge... Store yes, in every yes, town and just suck much. all the money out of it like and it's Walmart or something. You have to build it yourself. Very frequently, and that if they the build their own coffins. Not you wastes <laughs> away, presenting the appearance Flat of one coffins. of the last You drive them home on top of your Fiat 500. So speak, dying. <laughs> that is what I have understood. <laughs> Tonight, do you know, Mr. Bannerworth, is the full of the moon. Ooh, that's confirmed. If now you had succeeded in killing. Oh, what am I saying? I believe I am getting foolish in that the horrible superstition is beginning to fasten itself upon me as well as upon all of you. How strangely the fancy will wage war with the judgment in such a way as this. I sound crazy. Repeated Henry as he glanced toward the window. And the night is near at hand. Banish these thoughts from your mind, said the doctor. Or else, my young friend, you will make yourself decidedly ill. Good evening to you, for it is evening. I shall see you tomorrow morning. Mr. Chillingworth appeared now to be anxious to go, and Henry no longer approached <laughs> yeah. his departure. Getting out of here, there's a vampire he comes gone, here. A sense yeah. of great loneliness came over him. She doesn't have enough blood Tonight, for him to want to come back, repeated, so... Is the full of the moon. It's true. How strange that this dreadful adventure should have taken place <clears throat> just the night before. Tis very strange. Let me see. Let me see. He took from the shelves of a bookcase the work which Flora had mentioned, entitled Travels in Norway, in which work he had found some <laughs> account like a, of the popular belief it's in It's the Norwegian vampire. vampire. Yeah. He opened the work Something at random. Scandinavian about and this guy. Some of the this was the original Monty Python sketch, but they switched the it to a parrot because all the Norwegian vampires. Well, we want to suck your blood, don't you know? Beautiful plumage. With regard to these vampires, it is believed by those who are inclined to give credence to so dreadful a superstition that they always endeavor to make their feast of blood for the revival of their bodily powers oh, he used the on name of the some book evening in the book. immediately preceding a full moon. Hmm. Because if any accident befall them, such as being shot or otherwise killed or wounded, they can recover by lying down somewhere where the full moon's rays will fall upon them. Well, so why didn't he wait a night? Henry let the book drop from his hands you with a groan and a shudder. It's like, oh, my calendar was off. Dang it. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap for this week's edition of GDT 3K, the Gothic Dreadful Theater 3000 show. Look for another refreshing sip from the fire hose of Gothic Dreadfulness that is James Malcolm Reimer's classic Varney the Vampire. We're doing chapters 5 through 7, and that's coming at you on the Ides of February, February 15th. Yes. This podcast, by the way, is by Pulpit Productions in collaboration with Dark Tidings Press, or is it the other way around? Anyway, for details or to browse our respective catalogs, hit us up at darktidingspress.com and or pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which... 
There's a new book out in the Tales of Gods and Men series, the flagship series of Dark Tidings Press. What's the title on that, Chris? Cries of the Forsaken. Yes. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, you should grab a copy of it. For all of you Amazon Kindle users, it's marked down to $1.99. At least it was on mine this morning. Uh, also, not to leave Pulplet Productions out, now that it's promo time, the ebook version of the debut novel by our lead fiction writer, actually our only fiction writer, J.J. Dabbitt, is on sale today for free. It'll be free all day, and then it goes back up to regular price, which I think is like $43.72. No, it's a $2.99. But it'll be free all day, and then it goes back up to regular price until February 15th, when it will be free again for another 24 Check it out. This podcast is covered by a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4.0 International License, except for the theme music, which is used by permission. Speaking of which, our theme music is a traditional English ballad called Georgie by $4 Shoe, an all-time mountain music fiddle band out of Seattle. There's more where that came from at $4shoe.com. That's a number four followed by the letters that spell dollarshoe.com, by the way. And hey, that's it for tonight's inaugural episode of the Gothic Dreadful Theater 3000 podcast, Tigers. We will be back in your ears in a couple of weeks on February 15th. Well, until then, hmm, still don't have a tagline. Good night, Bannerworth Hall. <clears throat> no, wait, I've got to do a good Basil. Good night, Bannerworth Hall. Good night. And that one, of course, is taken too. But anyway, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye. Bye.